You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Good job. Well done. Give them a hand. Give the team a hand. Good job. Thank you for your service this morning. I don't know who in the room, and, and I don't need you to put your hand up and respond. It's a rhetorical question. But I don't know who in the room has ever prayed a prayer and sincerely prayed it and really actually thought it was the will of God in your sincerity and in your prayer, only, had you, only to have your prayer seemingly never answered. Uh, I wonder how many people in the room here have ever prayed about a person, a situation, a, a, a problem with a, or an issue with, with a, a family member or a friend, and really believed God that it was going to get better, only to find that it got worse. <laughs> and... Uh, and I wonder if you're in the room this morning and you've actually thought to yourself, seriously, what's the point of prayer? I mean, I try, I pray, but, you know, it doesn't really seem to work for me all that well. Sometimes I think I must be doing it wrong. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here this morning because we're going to drop in in a moment on a teaching, on a, 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 an idea communicated by none other than Jesus Christ himself. And what I find so encouraging about where we're going to go this morning is this. Jesus knew that you'd be frustrated in prayer. Jesus knew that you'd pray and nothing would happen. The reason I know he knew is because he addressed it ahead of time. And he wouldn't have addressed it 2,000 years ago if he didn't think you were going to have to deal with it today. And as we get into this teaching in a few moments' time, it's going to get very awkward. It's going to get, in my opinion, it's, there's a fair bit of tension involved in where we're about to head. Some of the things he says, if I was him, I wouldn't have said it, but I'm not him. And I don't write the stuff, all right? So don't blame me for it, because it does look and seem a little strange. But what, what I find encouraging about it is the fact that Jesus knew it was going to happen tells me there's not, there's not necessarily anything wrong with me, because I thought there was something wrong with me, because I'd pray and nothing would happen, right? I thought, man, have I got this wrong? Uh, I firstly thought maybe there's something wrong with me, and then if I'm going to get real honest, I started to think maybe there's something wrong with God. <laughs> maybe it ain't me, maybe it's him. Maybe he, I don't know, he's just not interested in me. Maybe he favours my wife over me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> maybe he favours this one over me and, and maybe I just haven't, you know, been able to fit the God bill or whatever that, that might happen to be. So it's really encouraging because it tells me that there's not necessarily anything wrong with me, number one, and number two, there's not necessarily anything wrong with God because Jesus addresses the frustration with prayer Head on. So why don't we drop in on what he has to say, recorded by the good doctor Luke. Luke, who recorded all of these things as a doctor, very meticulous, uh, very cerebrally, so that we would have a good um, and, uh, and, and uh, accurate record of what was said and what was done by Jesus. He wasn't so much a disciple of Jesus as he was a doctor who um, examined all that went on and kept the historical record. We have it. We, we, we know it as the book of Luke. But this is what it says in chapter 11 and in verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Let me stop there for a moment and say this. 
If you're going to pray, it helps to have a certain place. Now, the truth is you can pray anywhere, anytime. Of course you can. But if you're going to really break through in prayer, then I want to suggest you need a time and a place, a place where you can go and a time in which you go there. A time and a place seems to matter as we look at all the times when Jesus prays. And he goes and says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, and I assume that one spoke on behalf of them all. I assume they were all having a little discussion. And someone said, you go. And I said, you go. And so the guy who got the short straw goes over to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, can you teach us to pray? Uh, just like John taught his disciples to pray. It's kind of like these disciples are Jewish lads and they would have grown up around the synagogue and the temple or wherever and they would have been uh, uh, very much indoctrinated in Jewish religion and they would have known all kinds of prayers. And, and they would have grown up in an environment where God was honoured and, and, and prayed to. But as they watched Jesus pray... There was something about his prayer that was different to the way they had been indoctrinated in prayer. I mean, sometimes he prays all night. Sometimes he goes out and he prays for hours. I mean, how long does it take to say, God bless us and bless them, amen? I mean, you know, like I can get my prayer over in a matter of seconds. Jesus has something in prayer that, that, that I'm missing and can you teach it to me? And Jesus responds in the positive which is really great because that means a couple of things, first of which I can learn to pray. Because Jesus didn't say, well, you've either got it or you haven't, you know, <laughs> I can pray. No, he says, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Now, this is incredible because he could have taken this a hundred different directions. Here you have the master teacher. Here you have the Son of God who knows more about prayer than any living human being ever has. And here he has a group of people who are seeking him for his knowledge. They want to learn. So what does he say? How does the master teacher who has just about every piece of information on prayer I could imagine that exists, how does he communicate to this group of hungry individuals on the topic or on the issue of how to pray. Let's look and have a, have a look at what he says. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Right? So he starts off by misquoting the Lord's Prayer. Uh, because there was nothing there about deliver us from evil, right? There was nothing there about thine is the kingdom. So to start with, he didn't do a real good job because he kind of quotes the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, which many of you, you know, our Father which art in heaven, you know the song, right? From Matthew 6, beautiful song. But uh, Jesus kind of does the, 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 uh, uh, the short, uh, the abridged version of that here. And of course, he's communicating something even in that, which is, which is really important. And that is, I'm not teaching you what to say. This is not a word-for-word, word, recite, para, parrot what I'm saying situation here. Uh, he gives fundamentally, uh, in what he just says, there are 
three areas of prayer. It starts off with, God, you're great. Hallowed be the name. God, you're above all. God, you're God. I am not God. I worship you. God, you are great and powerful. That's how it starts off. And then it moves into, thy kingdom come. What does that mean? It means basically this. God, it's your thing, not my thing. God, your will over my will. God, this is my life is your thing, not my thing. Thy kingdom come. And then he gets into my needs. And God, I need this. And God, I need that. You know it's possible to go your whole life praying and actually miss the whole point of prayer. And that would be real sad, wouldn't it? It would be sad to pray and spend your whole life praying and actually not even understand what prayer is about because prayer is not about getting things. Prayer is about connecting with someone. See, a lot of people wait till they need something to pray because their perception is prayer is about, I have a need, I better get something. No, no, prayer is not about the acquisition of things. Prayer is about connecting with God himself. But he gives us a pattern. And if I was Jesus, I'd have done that, right? Jesus gets a tick from John thus far. Well done. (laughs) I would say something along those lines, you know. God is great. God, this is not my deal, it's your deal. And by the way, God... Got a few things I need. I, 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 can, I can work with this. I'm going, good work, Jesus. Good work. Oh, but then he lets me down. <sighs> then he takes a sharp turn to the left. Where he goes now <laughs> is some of the most, I think, anyhow, bizarre stuff that he says. I mean, I mean let, let, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Then Jesus says to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Let me just stop here. Think about the disciples, right? Jesus teaches to pray. God, we want to know about prayer. It's like this. Our Father who art in heaven, you know, thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Good, good, good. This is good, Jesus. Writing this down. This is good stuff. And just by the way, imagine you've got a friend. Did we ask him about friendship? <laughs> and your friend comes to you in the middle of the night and, and says, we've got no bread. With it. I mean, do we ask him about rude, you know, teachers about rude friends? <laughs> I mean, someone knocking on your door at midnight, right, wanting, I don't know, a bowl of sugar or a loaf of bread or something out of your pantry or refrigerator, would you not define that person as rude? Yes? Would you do it? Uh, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> My goodness, I don't think I would do it. And you could just kind of think, well, Lord, we asked you about prayer, not how to get on with inconsiderate, rude friends. That's a legitimate topic, but let's do that another day. <laughs> Today, it's prayer, surely. Surely this is, you know, surely you can, do you have to give us another story? Just give us a straight answer. And then he goes on and says this. Suppose the one on the inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. There's a locked door. Interesting. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Yes, clap for that man, right? (laughs) 
Could you imagine someone knocking on, could you imagine being the guy knocking on the door? I imagine doing this, like, I'd be apprehensive, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, you know. I mean, what if he's had a bad day? I don't think I should be knocking on his door. But, you know, your wife's saying, you better go, you know, we've got no food, we can't get going. Oh, I don't want to go, go, I don't want to go, go. All right, so off you go, and you're like, I feel really bad about this. And you knock on the door, and a big booming voice comes from the other side of the door, Rack off! <laughs> going to do? Keep knocking? (laughs) I don't think so. I'm going to go home and abuse my wife for making me go in the first place. (laughs) Aren't you? What are you doing to me? I did it was your idea. What am I? I didn't want to do this. Now I feel like a complete and utter birth. Terrible. (laughs) And, and, And yet this guy, he continues to knock. Now, what you've got to try to understand, right, it's not like your house where there's a whole bunch of rooms and most people, maybe there might be a couple of kids in a room, but pretty much there's a few rooms and the doors are locked and you're in your own little room over here with your shut door and the door's there. No, 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 no. But back 2,000 years ago in um, Palestine, the average house had two rooms, maybe three, but everybody slept in one room. Think camping. Anyone been camping with the whole family in a tent, you know? And it's kind of like a jigsaw. One kid goes this way, one kid goes that way, you know? And then sort of mum goes this way, dad sort of hangs around everybody else like this. And then, you know, the last thing you do is sort of get the light off and everyone falls asleep. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if I get up, I'm going to wake up everybody. And how many know those kids, they're a murder to get to bed in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right? I wake them up. My goodness, we could be hours getting them back to sleep. I'm not getting up for this joker who's at the stupid door because he didn't have enough bread to feed his friend. Why do I have to create a problem now for my family? Why do I have to create a problem for my wife and, and for everybody else in my house? I'm staying put. There was probably only one door that actually locked. Most of the doors would have just kind of been a curtain between spaces. There wasn't doors internally. There would have been one door, that was the outside door, and that door was locked. I don't know if anyone was here last week, if anyone's picking up a theme here. That door was locked. And this guy wants the locked door opened. And we said last week, bended knees equals opportunities, right? We said last week that prayer opens doors. But I want you to know something. Prayer doesn't open doors unless you get through a fair bit of tension. Because there's a fair bit of tension going on here right about now. Right? You've got one guy who quite legitimately doesn't want to get out of bed. You've got one guy who's out the front there who's feeling a little bit insecure, wouldn't you say? I'm knocking on a neighbour's door at midnight because of my lack of need. Why, do I have to, why does this have to become a problem for his kid? This is a very, very difficult situation. There is a tension here, but Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because he's nice, because of his friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Everybody say, shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. Hands up those who are naturally shameless and audacious. (laughs) Shameless audacity. And me don't tend to go together. I just tend to like to, you know, 
disappear and slink around. I don't want anyone to, you know, I just want to be liked. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes. I don't want to create a nuisance of myself. Because of shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. (laughs) He doesn't get up because he's nice. He doesn't get up because he's compassionate. He doesn't get up because he's merciful. He gets up to simply shut up the guy knocking at the door because he's just overwhelmed with the sense of urgency about getting up just to shut this bloke up. Now, here's the thing. This didn't actually happen. This was not a record of an event. This was a made-up story. Now, the great storyteller of of all time, Jesus Christ, could have made up a thousand stories to communicate how do you pray. But he created this rather strange story. And in all of these stories, somebody represents God, somebody represents you, me, and, and, and there's, a, there's a lesson to be learned, right? You know, the prodigal son, everybody's heard about the prodigal son. I think in the prodigal son, you know, the, the forgiving father, he represents God. You got it, you got it, God. And then the prodigal son represents, you know, the person who, who turns his back on God. And then you've got the religious uh, uh, person who's represented by the son who stays at home and so forth. And, and that's how these stories, or parables if you like, that's how they work. Okay, so let's go to this parable. Um, who is the person knocking on the door? Who, is that, who does that person represent? That person represents... Me, you, us, right, right. The cranky guy who doesn't want to get out of bed. Who does that represent? God. That represents God. I tell my wife all the time, I'm becoming more like God. (laughs) The cranky guy who doesn't want to get out of bed. (laughs) That's God. Our loving Father, who art in heaven, is <laughs> now the cranky guy who doesn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> As I said, I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> if you were making stuff up to try to get people to believe in a God, you wouldn't make this up. You wouldn't make this kind of a story up if these were, you know, people who said, let's just write a book and let's try to pretend there's a God and, and let's try to pretend that he's this loving God and... and he, What is with this story? This is one of the most bizarre stories or parables that Jesus tells, but it's not on its own. There's another one we won't turn there about an unrighteous judge. He doesn't care for the law. He doesn't care for people. But there's this widow who demands her rights and says the same idea. Importunity is the old word. It's, it's, It's the same concept. This audaciousness. This shamelessness, the judge says, all right there, have what it is that you want. Your justice, your shameless audacity seems to matter. And it's not something that I tend to carry in bags. And I just want to suggest 
I don't see too many shamelessly audacious people in the room either, to be really honest with you. And isn't it interesting that when these disciples say, teach us to pray, Jesus brings us to this, this urgency or this, this importance around the idea of shameless audacity. I, I, I would love to be able to tell you, but you know, in the Greek it really means, you know, well, if you turn it around this way, you can see the truth of it. No, no, it is what it is. I'm thinking about it, you know. And, I, and I, I'm a father, and I know there are many parents in the room. And, and I reckon you've all experienced this. I reckon you've all been at a point where your kids have said to you, you know, can I go to the shops? No. Can I go to the shops? No. Can we go to the shops? No. Can we go to the shops? All right. <laughs> and you give them what they want when you realize how important to them it actually is. And it's as if the, the, the thumbprint of God is on the inside of us, that God is not bothered by our persistence. As a matter of fact, he's honored by it. He's honored by it. Now, here's where we get real deep. Here's where you have to listen, all right? So just put your Facebook away for a moment or whatever it is you're on and uh, just pay me attention for like five minutes because here's the big idea, right? This is, this is the master teacher at work. He gives this template for, for prayer. You know, God, you're all powerful. God, it's not my thing, it's your thing. And God, here is what I need. That's the three template. That's, that's the threefold template for prayer that he taught. Then he gives this story. Now, when you think about it, this story exactly validates the template. When you see it, you go, gosh, I would have forgotten the template, but I can't forget the story. I mean, the story just is indelibly printed in my mind. And the story communicates the template, so you never forget it. Now, if you haven't seen it, my job to help you see it. So hang with me for just a couple of minutes and I'll explain it to you. You see, firstly, the guy on the inside of the house had everything the guy on the outside of the house wanted and he could get it from nowhere else. Right? So he had all the bread. He had all the power. You see, here's the thing for many of us. This is what we think, Right? I'm going to ask God for this. If I can't get it from God, I'll get it from someone else. I, I, I'm going to pray for this, and if it doesn't happen, I've got a backup plan. If I don't get it from God, I'll nip down to the 7-Eleven, you know, or, I'll, or I'll go and I'll do something else, because I'm not completely reliant on God. This guy had no other option but the guy in the tent, the guy in the house, the guy in the house concerning this matter was all powerful. He had what he wanted and he could get it nowhere else. Wow. That's something that you've got to believe. Because I know that there are many things you need, but there are a few things you need more than the understanding of this template. There are a few things you need more than the understanding that the only one who has the answer to your 
lack of resource. The only one who has the answer to your relational issue, the only one that has the answer to your problems moving forward is not that counsellor, it's not that doctor, it's not that government policy, it's not that, you know, uh, gradu- it's not that uh, uh, other employment or whatever. The only one who has the answer is God. God is all-powerful. Hallowed be thy name. You, you, you see that? Okay. Next thing, not my will, but thine. He's completely convinced that the man on the inside ultimately wants to give him that bread. He's convinced of it. Now, he knows that the man on the inside's half asleep. He knows that the man on the inside's going to be incredibly inconvenienced. He knows the man on the inside is not going to, you know, uh, warm to it immediately. But he knows deep down inside that man will give him the bread. It's not... That deep down on the inside, that is his will. And so he's going to persist and he's going to continue and he's going to knock 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 and he's going to be audacious and he's going to be shameless and he's knocking. He's not going to be uh, uh, pulled to the left and he's not going to be distracted to the right. He's going to knock because he's focused on what he needs. Prayer acknowledges his greatness tells him that we are about his will and doesn't stop asking, doesn't quit until it sees the answer. The story validated the verse before it and would have left an indelible print on the minds of those followers of Jesus who just asked, how do you pray, Jesus? We want to know how to pray. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given, seek. And you'll find knock, and the door will be open to you. This is not some mysterious formula to prayer. To ask here and to seek there and to knock there. Now, what he's saying is ask and ask until it's like you're seeking it. Continue to seek and seek until it's like you are banging the door down. We know there's someone in there. We saw your donkey in the driveway. Don't pretend you're asleep. We know you're there. We saw the light on only an hour ago. I'm going to keep knocking and knocking and knocking until I get what I need. See, sometimes our pride doesn't want us to be desperate, doesn't want us to be shameless, doesn't want us to be audacious. Jesus is teaching us here that in prayer, you're not going to get what you want. That's going to happen. You, you, you are going to get discouraged. You're going to want to go home and abuse the pastor for making you pray when, you, when it was a complete waste of time and God didn't answer your prayer. Because you've not learnt shameless audacity when it comes to prayer. Persistence honours God. When you pray, this sense of God's going to do something. I believe he's the one who has what I, what I require and no one else can get it for me. I know that you need a whole bunch of stuff. I know there's a bunch of need in this place this morning. But what you've got to get firmly fixed on the inside of you is that God is the one with the answer. And when you believe that, right? When that becomes your worldview, then you can become like this guy. Then you become someone who storms the gates. Then you become someone who knocks on the door. Then you can become someone who persists until they break through. He says in verse 10, For everyone, that's a pretty encompassing phrase, isn't it? 
for everyone. That includes me. I guess it also includes you. Who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the doors be open to them. So here's my question for you. What are you so diligent about in prayer that it consumes your heart? Is there anything? Is there anything today that you are seeking from God that you can find in nobody, that you can find nowhere else? Is there something that big in your life that it honours God? Or are you just kind of living your life um, as everybody else does in your street, as everybody else does in your workplace, except the fact that you try not to swear and tell lies and drink too much or whatever. You know, you try to to live a a, a better life. But there's nothing really consuming your, your heart that will drive you in prayer into the presence of God day in, day out, with an absolute focus that you can't get it anywhere else but from Him. You see, here's, here's the issue, I think, anyway. I think many times we don't want to do it. Many times we're afraid that if I shut the door and come into this time with just God and me, this quiet time or this, this, this intimate moment with God and just me, he, he might put his finger on things in my life that, frankly... I don't want him to touch. Uh, this area, I just want to hang on to this because this, I like this. Now I know God might not be too happy with it, but you know I need it to survive, all right? Sorry, God. I appreciate the fact that you have everything I need, but this little thing down here, this little person over here, this little habit over there, I need that as well as you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you don't like that, but that's just the way it is. I think that... That exists in the heart, if you want to be really honest, of a lot of people, which means we're, we're kind of afraid to go too far into God because we think God's going to put his finger on that and we don't want him to touch it. And so we consign ourselves to simply saying prayers. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not that we don't pray. We say our prayers. We don't enter into a spirit of prayer. We don't enter into a place of prayer. We don't enter into this communication with the creator of the universe. Because there is a fear on the inside of us that if we do, then God might start uh, revealing things or touching things or, or, or uh, uh, putting his hand on, area, on areas of my life and saying, no, no, we're going to deal with this. Prayer recognizes, firstly, his greatness. Secondly, our dependence. And that's what the story's all about. The guy on the inside has what the guy on the outside needs. He can't get it anywhere else. That's what prayer's all about. God has what you need and you can't get it anywhere else. And when you realize that, then that changes everything. Because for many of us, we think what will provide for me in the next 10 years is my superannuation. What will provide for me in my next, you know, whenever it might be some Centrelink payment, or it might be some employer, it might be some spouse, it might be some relative. No, it's God. And when we realize that nobody else 
has what I need, then this shameless audacity has a better chance of rising to the top to break through this lack of response from the sleepy, cranky guy on the inside. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I hope you're praying about, it, this thing that I, I mentioned last week, and I, I want to remind you if you were not here, if you are, uh, sorry, I want to tell you if you weren't here and remind you if you were, is to challenge a friend, someone who's not a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, great to have you. You can pray too. And to say to somebody who you might work with or might live across the road from or wherever, who has a, a, a problem, who has a circumstance in their life that clearly they're out of their depth in, uh, and challenge them, why don't you pray to God about that? Oh, no, I don't know. That's fine. I know you're not. But you've got nothing to lose, have you? Wake up in the morning and simply ask him to help you in that situation. And challenge people, because C.S. Lewis talks about uh, pain is God's megaphone, and everybody experiences pain. Why not just say, well, if pain is God's megaphone, God is trying to speak to them through that circumstance, why not just adjust them to say, why don't you just talk to God in that circumstance? And let's just see what happens. Let's just see what God does. See, what, what, what I'm asking you to do, church... It's to not just pray for that opportunity, but certainly if that opportunity comes, you know, so you don't have to tell anybody, you know, you, 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 it's just between you and God. But I, one thing I ask, if things turn around, let me know. <laughs> and, and then we were going to ask you to let us know so we can rejoice with you and, and, and uh, just um, praise God for that. But you know, in the Bible it talks about a fellow by the name of Abraham who had a passionate promise from God that he believed right the way up to his death. Now, he never actually saw it come to pass. Not in the literal sense. I'm sure he saw it in his heart. I'm sure he saw it in his mind, if you know what I mean. Because it did come to pass. Everything that God promised him came to pass. But everything that God promised him, therefore everything that he was passionate about was so big, it was bigger than one man's lifetime. And we can get so focused in on just our little moment of time that we forget that God actually uses us to change generations. God actually uses us to create things that at this point are not even seen. But we can pray towards it and pray towards it and believe for it and believe for it. You know, I can bear testimony to this in my own experience or what I observed, particularly in the life of my own mother, who um, my, my father was, he was anti-church and you know anti-god and he hated the whole christian thing you know was growing when i was growing up my mother was a, a full-on crazy pentecostal and the crazier she got the more my father hated it but anyhow that's another story and uh, and uh but my mother never gave up praying for him and uh and they were married for 40 years before my father finally bended his knee and acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. But it took her 40 years of prayer. But she never gave up because she was passionate about seeing her spouse make it to heaven. She was passionate about that. And you can appreciate the passion that any wife would have for her husband to make it to heaven. And I just say that to you, that it took her 40 years knocking on that door. For 40 years, she never gave up. For 40 years, my father was quite um, uh, cutting about her going to church and so on and so forth. He thought the whole thing was crazy and made it clear that he thought she was crazy for going. Uh, <laughs> but she never gave up. 
she never let that fill her spirit or fill her heart. Just kept praying. Just kept praying. Just kept praying. And finally, um, when she passed on, you know, my father continued to go to church and he counted the offering and, you know, he was involved in his church there, there where he was and where he continued on till the day he died. And uh, so from a person who thought the whole thing was a bunch of crazy fairy stories, finally in his 60s coming to the Lord, how many know that's a miracle right there within itself? 40 years of prayer. Because I suggest she knew one thing. She knew, I have, no other, I have nowhere else to go with this. If God doesn't come through here, nobody else can. And that's the thing that I want you to take away. Nobody else can come through for you but God. Not your ingenuity, not your education, not your resources, not someone else who's nearby, a big brother, I'll get my big brother to come and fix you up. Nobody else but God. And if you don't have that situation in your life right now, then maybe, maybe you're not believing God for something big enough that honors him. Maybe, just maybe, you need to adjust something in your life until there's something so large going to get you up tomorrow begging on heaven's door because you know no other door will usher you in to what you need. Bow our heads, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you that all we need is in you. Father, in the world, in a nation that's so plentiful, that has so much supply, it's easy to lose track of that. It's easy to lose sight of that. And Father, we simply say our prayers as a process of religious tradition. But God, focus us to start knocking. Focus our hearts. Become audacious and shameless in our pursuit of what it is we believe is your will for us right now. Until the door opens. And until the resource, the opportunity that is on the other side of the door becomes out. And I thank you for this. Jesus. We're going to stand together. We're going to worship. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 